Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we spoke to Justin Donaldson. Justin is a fine artist who has made a very solid career outside of galleries using a variety of products and services that are easily reproduced by any artist. That's not to say it's going to work for everyone. It should always be clearly stated that results may vary and what has worked for one person may not work for you. But even if his specific blueprint doesn't produce the results for you that it did for him, you are going to hear a lot of valuable information about what to start thinking about and how to lay the groundwork for things that will create income for you over the long term. You put in a lot of work up front, so you work less as the years go by. We spend the great majority of the interview discussing the detailed specifics of his business plan, the marketing involved, and what the numbers actually look like. You're going to get a lot of specifics, so take notes. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Justin has worked his butt off, and all while balancing the demands of being a full-time stay-at-home dad, and then later being the sole provider for his family. In this video, you're going to hear not only about what works, but how hard you have to work for it. There's a bit of hard love here, but Justin is such a nice guy, you won't even know what hit you. So buckle up, let's get to it. Just jumping right into it, um, we like to get a little background on you. So if you can, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. And to start with, how did you get into art? Like, what drew you into it and grabbed you and got you stuck in it? Ah, good question. Um, well, I've always done a bit of art. I think I've always used art as, as um, just getting away from getting away from family and craziness. Um, yeah, I've always been interested in, in art of various forms. I, I played a lot of music when I was a kid and, um, took a year after school to, to just figure out what I want to do. It's more, more common in Australia, which is where I'm from, Australia. And it's common just to kind of like take a year off and try to figure out who you are and what you want to do. And, um, so I did that and I, I kind of chickened out at the end of that because I, I wasn't I didn't think I could get a job or make any money doing any of the any any art or even music. So I ended up going to school in Sydney for audio engineering. So I did that, and halfway through that, realized that um, I I get overwhelmed by everything, but particularly by sounds. Uh, having a lot of sounds really overwhelms me. Uh, my body, my brain, everything just shuts right down. And so by the time I ended that, I realized, well, that's not going to work. But I ended up meeting a woman, <laughs> as every good story starts with, <laughs> and she was American. And so kind of, you know, one thing led to another. I ended up coming to America, and we couldn't, 
couldn't work for about a year because um, just green card issues. You know, I had to get all my, my papers sorted out and um, that takes a while and a lot of money. And so I had a year of just not having anything to do. And so with that time, I was like, you know what? I had some conversation with my wife, my wife's mother, and she really encouraged me to like, just, you know, like you might not know if you're going to make it or be able to make money, but you know, why not? Why not try? So I put that year to essentially just learning how to paint. And um, so I did it and then I tried a bunch of things. But, you know, when you first start painting, one, you're terrible. And two, um, everything takes forever long. And you just like, if I'm, if I'm trying to charge by time, gosh, I have to charge you a lot of money for a terrible product. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't work in, in many, any, many cases. And so, you know, I, I tried portraiture, but I didn't know the crowd, I didn't know the in crowd, um, for people who actually had money. I tried some gallery work and that did not do me well. Uh, again, because everything took so long, but when you start gallery work, they're kind of like, yeah, you need to judge really low. So that just couldn't support our lifestyle. Um, so I, I just painted and painted and painted and didn't make any money. Um, and then I was allowed to get jobs. Uh, the, the, the government was very generous with me and let me work. And then I just ended up taking a lot of cafe jobs and I paint on the side and figure things out. Um, I ended up meeting somebody uh, who had previously run a really successful art business. And um, he had just started up a, a game studio. And so um, he ended up hiring me on to paint backgrounds, his games, which if you, if anyone's been in like game studio work, especially in indie games, everyone ends up doing everything. So like I got in like the first couple of weeks I was painting backgrounds and then two years in and I was just like coding all day long, all day, every day. And it was terrible. Um, and then the company folded. And so when that happened, I was like, you know what? I really just want to do art. I, I'm, I'm sick of coding and thinking about user experience and, and working through everything like that. And I just want to paint. So I ended up uh, working on like work, all of these like bid sites where you try and get jobs um, and making my way through that, painting book covers essentially. So that was really, that was really tough. That's really hard um, to be in that like freelance market. So hard. You're just grinding all the time. That's where, uh, that's like where our audience is. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have been there. I'm no longer there. Um, I was there for years. Um, so that was your. So that was your first big transition like from doing the background painting you didn't want to do coding to f that and you just jump <laughs> right into right into freelance basically like trying to make your way right into freelance yeah i i had a bit of time where i knew that the company i was working for was was crashing and so like but i but i was still you know getting some money still a little bit employed 
I was only ever a little bit employed. <laughs> I didn't have that much money. Uh, so while it was crashing, I was like, I got to get this thing going before there's no more money coming in the door. And so it's just, yeah, trying everything. Um, well, can you, can you hit some of the high notes for getting from those, those first rough couple of months or years uh, trying to figure out, you know, I know you said you were doing some of the uh, work for higher sites, like, hire an illustrator and there's a there's one for book covers too readsy right? uh, Reed, yeah, uh, yeah those so. are the two that actually ended up feeding me a lot um so there's there's a big difference between uh bid sites and these these gallery sites is kind of what i call them the bid sites people are like okay i have a project i have a million people who could do my project and the very first thing that they see is the amount of money that you're saying that you'll do the job for. And so then they go into like the amount of money and then they it, it narrows down from there. It's like five or six clicks into you before they see your your actual work. And so by that time, they're, they're making judgments on you and what you'll do for them versus the gallery sites where these people are representing you and they when people are looking for you, they're just looking at the images you produce. And so as a user experience for someone who is buying into you and your work, they see the work and then they see more of the work. And then finally they reach out to you and now we're talking about money. So there's, there's a completely different way of coming around to uh, the, the, the kind of the power play, you know, in, in the first, in the bid sites, they have the power. And basically, you're just groveling. Please give me work. In the second one, by the time they come to you, they want you, at least to some degree. Um, and so they're coming to you where you have just a little more um, social power or a little more, um, by the time they come to you, hopefully, they know you're right for the job and you know that you're right for their job at the time. Um, so that w when it comes to finding work, I, I like those gallery sites way more. And so that's like hire an illustrator and readsy. Um, I think there was another one earlier on called Mint or Minty. Um, I, d I don't know. I, with these, with a lot of these sites, they rise and then they fall, and it feels like you're just jumping ship. You're just jumping from ship to ship, trying to like find where that market is. Um, Dory mentioned yeah, also I mean, AOI. Um, who's that one? most giant of them all she says is it the one that's always trying to email people and get you to sign up i've never heard of it um but yeah a director of illustration that's right yeah i never actually got on with them because i didn't have enough money to i think that you need to pay them a certain amount of money to start to start representing you which in the long term it makes sense because um i think they're asking for a price that's like Know, one or two commissions worth of a price which you know in the in the end is good um oh 5k for a year okay so um uh, yeah so when but when you're just starting out you can't you can't spend 5k on anything um so it's really hard but what i found is that um it got easier as i went on because you start to have uh, repeat customers and so there's just this this game of attrition, just like going for it, going for it, and then it just builds. Um, 
So that was kind of that period of my life or of my work even. Or you can ask a question. Oh, I, I, I had a question, but not if you had a, a thought that you wanted to finish. No, you go ahead. Um, well, you said that you're not doing those anymore. So yes when when you started moving uh, away when you started moving away from that what was this the impetus to get you moving away from them and what were you looking at initially uh, to start filling in the gaps that you weren't going to be making from having access to those websites so after after that after a couple of years of that getting really tired um of just the grind um what ended up happening was I had followed this podcast um, one fantastic week, and then they started doing a mentorship, and they're freelance artists, fantasy artists, and so I applied for the mentorship, and I ended up getting that mentorship, and uh, there's a lot to be said about that. I think the, the biggest thing for me was um, having people just point out that I was I was really going after what I thought the market wanted and needed, uh, which when it comes to really finding freelance work, there's something to be said about that. But when I'm trying to get away from freelance work and trying to build my own stuff, um, I kind of pulled that idea with me and just was creating work that wasn't bad, but it wasn't as good as it could be because it wasn't really figuring out how to sort of, um, find the find the voice might go the wrong way of saying that find the voice of my work because um, I was I was borrowing into the voice of what I thought people needed um, and so I after I did that it was a pretty painful process uh, and a very public process feel free to check it out <laughs> um, but yeah after after that I I essentially went through all of this, realized that I didn't have to be a perfect artist. I had this vision in my head for what it meant to be an artist. And a lot of the time it was like, oh, absolutely perfect at anatomy, absolutely perfect at perspective, absolutely perfect at the discipline of art. Um, and every time trying to find the meaning behind my art, I would just fall back on the discipline of art. And discipline is great. It means that you like you can do everything you want to do. It's necessary. Um, but having spent years and years and years trying to get good at art and that was my goal um the the problem is that discipline can't be the end result that discipline is always the 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 way to get somewhere and so like you know you become a disciplined athlete not so that you're good at running but so that you can achieve the goals that you want to do or or so that you're whatever that analogy wherever that goes but um so it was turning away from really focusing on the discipline of being a good artist um, as my goal and separating that from what do I actually want my art to be about and communicate. And then after I did that, like changing everything, my whole Instagram, my whole, the way that I was messaging myself, the web, my website, I changed all of that so that it was actually about the things I was actually interested in other than about everything I could possibly do for you as an illustrator. And then I think because I was finally speaking about things that were important to me, it resonated with other people. Um, so after that mentorship, it was 
I th- it was literally a matter of weeks before I went from like 100 Instagram followers to 10,000. And then from there, just kind of onwards. Um, in terms of actually uh, making more money. So suddenly then I was, um, I was producing my own work or just little, little plain air studies going out and starting to have this flood of a new market come into actually seeing my work and doing all of that kind of stuff. I was given a little bit more that I could put something out there, say it's for sale and actually sell it. So it was really nice. Uh, and, and then I started to do some tutorials as well. I have a, this, what I was mentioning before, I had this artist that I, that I did this video game stuff with. Um, and he's, he's a very successful business person most of the time. Uh, but that's how businesses go. They don't always work. But um, he always just drilled into me that you need a product. You need a product. Um, and so I ended up making some tutorials just to kind of diversify my products. Um, and those tutorials ended up, you know, doing decently. You know, they didn't make a huge amount of money. Like my, my paintings didn't make a huge amount of money. My tutorials didn't make a huge amount of money. Prints didn't make a huge amount of money. But slowly together, they started to sort of get to the point where I realized I might not have to actually you know, grind um, on, on doing these paintings for other people. Um, and actually, I don't have anything wrong with, with working for other people, but I have, it, I have this thing where it's like, work for other people just the communications never quite there and ends up taking three times as long to make a painting that's not quite as good as it could have been um <laughs> and much. that in and of itself like just destroys me i'm like ah oh, i could have made three paintings that i'm like more proud of mm. instead of this one painting that i'm just not 100 percent sold on i can i interrupt you for a sec because i absolutely we want to we do want to spend uh, a, a fair amount of time, you know, talking about your business model and the kind of diversity of revenue streams that you have. But one of the key ingredients in there that you mentioned was coming to terms with um, what you wanted to be doing, like what was the actual thing that you right, really yeah. wanted to be saying um, with your art. Yeah. I, I imagine that being. A long process. Well, well. I, I, before I make assumptions about what it was like for you, how about you tell us <laughs> what was it like for you? What, yeah, like, sure. And, and sure. And what really got you there? Like, what was the thing, or was there a thing that, like, boom, snaps it into focus for you? Yeah, it was. Um, so you're talking about this mentorship, and there's these two guys who are mentoring me, and um, they they. Saw my work, saw that I really enjoyed painting backgrounds. And so they tried to assign me these things where I was uh, painting plants, but I didn't know how to make, I didn't, in my head, like a good painting had a person in it. And so I just kept failing at actually painting something that didn't have a person in it. Everything had to have a person and a person based story in it. Um, and so finally, they're just like, stop painting people. They, they picked up this one painting I had which was this massive tree and right compositionally right in the right in the focal point was a person 
but the person was crap and wasn't really like, wasn't where I put my time and my effort. I put my time and my effort into painting the moss and the rocks and the tree and everything. Uh, and I think it was that when they pointed that out, they're like, it doesn't need a person. And in fact, the whole painting is less because you're painting a, a person and no, no, you don't need to do it. And that's the point where I was like, dang, you're right. Um, and it got, it got really, really hard. But um, I ended up coming back and just having a, having a direction, being like, okay, it's okay if I don't paint people. It's okay if I, um, you know, I'm not painting things like hugely fantasy oriented. Um, and also story, right? So we always talk about having a story. And I think I talked about, you know, me being overwhelmed all the time by everything, particularly by sound, uh, but essentially overwhelmed by everything all the time. And realize that you know what I what I really value is is being out in nature and painting and exploring these um, exploring these spaces that are safe for me uh, as someone who is overwhelmed all the time. I also looked back and saw all the music that I used to play, and none of it had words, none of it had anything. It was all about mood and creating a mood that I could control how I felt. Um, and so I realized my, that's what my paintings are about. They're all about this mood. They're always about um, this place, this safe place that I can connect to that either feels safe or a, just this massive sense of awe and um, inspiration. And just realizing that, okay, if I'm not looking at the discipline of art and I'm looking at the message of art, what is my message? It's just that I so thoroughly crave these spaces, these physical spaces that I need to like use them. They are, I, I use them to, to regulate how I feel and be able to be stable. And I spend so much time on that in a way that basically nobody else does because no one else has that need as much as, as I do, at least not that I know. Um, I'm sure there's, there's people out there that crave it more than I do. But the thing is, that's my market. Those are the people I'm speaking to. The people who have the same inherent need that I'm spending the time and creating, and because it's valuable to me, it's valuable to other people. Not everyone, just the people to whom it actually is a value. Uh, and it was really interesting seeing that. I think when I first went to a convention, I I've actually never done well at a convention. I always sucked at them, but. Um, it was very valuable to me actually first going to a convention because I would start to see the people who didn't care at all about my art and who would look at it and be like, what is that doing here? That's rubbish. And then you'd see people like who spot it from the other side of the massive room and their eyes light up and they're like, ah, oh, my place, my home. And I, was, I realized, yeah, okay, there's, there's people like me who need this. Um, and so suddenly I, I think I had a, a message or a certain amount of clarity about what what it is that I need from art, and therefore what it, what is it that I can give um, back to people who need the same thing that I do, and having that clarity of message also means that I can actually have far more focused time in on my um, on my discipline. Because what I realized is that I was really scared. I was so scared of only doing landscapes. I was so scared of like 
narrowing down my style because I want to be everything for everyone. And I want to, I'm arrogant. I want to be the best at everything. Um, but as soon as I started narrowing down, first of all, in complete contradiction to the idea of narrowing down, it just exploded the amount of ideas I had for paintings uh, and, and what I felt like I could do. And then, um, yeah, that was just, that's just, I didn't expect it. I didn't see that coming, but um, ended up just like having more ideas for things to paint. But also the further you go into a single subject, I realized what I was doing in my, in my search for discipline was like doing a little bit of everything. Um, but in, in many cases, it's good to get the ideas behind how to do everything. There's so much work that, that you can learn only by instancing. Instancing being like, you know, I could theorize about things or I can know how light probably works in a thing um, and, and figure that out and get really good at that. There's a certain degree of what is this particular instance of light doing and can I reproduce it like 10 times over and be really, really good at it? And the minute that you do that, you start increasing everything else as well. So um, by focusing in on landscapes really so much, I actually got so much better at um, at perspective, which you wouldn't think about because, you know, people always like, ah, landscapes, you don't need perspective, just <laughs> and it's all good. You can't fail. Uh, <laughs> by going kind of further into this one particular subject, I actually, I actually found I, I was um, increasing my discipline overall to make me an overall better artist, which was, it was funny because that was the one thing I was scared about. What if I always have this dream? What if I really want to be good at perspective? I really want to be good at painting people. What if this means I can't do that? Um, was there any sense of loss there that you had to contend with of like, okay, yeah, that's just what it's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I like some of the artists that I really admire. Uh, one of my favorites is Jeremy Lipking and he's actually not a landscape painter. He, he, he paints people mostly. And so I have this, part in me that's just like i want to do that and um i do that kind of i do some portraits for for my family i just finished up a portrait of my son and my daughter um for my wife but i th i think that the thing is when i was starting out i i needed that focus and i still hold on to it um i i have in my head that it's not always going to be this way. Um, I think there's a certain degree of like, really needed that so my message was consistent. Uh, and But even, even when it talks about my message and what, what it is that I paint and why I paint it, it's actually not untrue that I could, I, I could paint other things. Um, having, having that message not be uh, specific. It's not actually about the landscapes. It's about the feeling which means that I can actually put that feeling into other things. Uh, but I don't think I realized that until relatively recently as well. I could do these other things, but keep my voice. Um, but there is, there is some degree of catch up for, uh, for you know, anatomy and gesture and stuff like that, that I want to do before I start pushing those things and having this other material in the same voice publicly. Just cause I, I, I I have an image in my head about how I want that to work. I have some things I, I've I've got some paintings I'm going to release in the summer 
uh, very summary paintings. And I, I want them actually to involve, to involve a bunch of people. So that'll be, it'll be a really interesting experiment. Coming full um, circle almost. <laughs> yeah, coming full circle, but being in a completely different place. Yeah, which, um, yeah, totally. That's a really key feature of that is the learning experience yeah. and the and the evolution that you've gone through. It, you'll you'll do people in a completely different sort of way, and that's really Absolutely. fascinating. I and I really love the um, optimism in that. You know, <laughs> the, well, you know, in this in this. Uh, acceptance of okay i'm not going to be able to do it all which is really as you said you know just sort of like a fight with your own ego what is the thing that that really gets me going diving into that full force and then realizing okay that doesn't mean that i'm in this just forever like there's still so many other places that this can go um that's yeah that's that's important i i I have to sort of like reiterate that to myself or for my own sake, because this is a process that I am going through myself right now. Part of this whole podcast is a self-indulgent experiment for me to try and go through a, a lot of the shit that you're talking about right now. So <laughs> absolutely. And it's so hard because it's like, before I started any of it, I'd heard so many times that people were like, uh, you know, when you narrow down in on what you want, it frees you up. And intellectually, I'd heard that I knew it. I didn't believe I, Emotionally, I didn't believe that. Um, it wasn't until I actually made that decision that it saw the truth in it. Uh, but yeah, it's so hard to, to actually believe it before it happens, which makes well, it all very scary. Yeah, yeah. Um... Maybe if there's time more at the end, we'll circle back to this because there's so much more that we could say about that fear. But we, we, ah. there are other things that we really want to talk to you about. Uh, and coming back, all right. To, what do we want to talk about? Well, coming back to um, your process of carving out a niche for yourself, and, or and carving out a place where you could offer products and services um, and things that people would want to give you money for. Um, You've arrived at a place now where you have a pretty wide variety of income streams. And you, you, you mentioned a few yeah. of them. Yeah, but I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through the range of products that you do have on offer. And then we can kind of yeah. dig into those a little bit. Absolutely. So I do um, originals. I sell my originals most of the time. I actually want to stop selling my originals, but we can talk about that later. Uh, prints. Um, I have tutorials and then I have, uh, kind of full courses, painting courses. Um, and then it was supposed to be this year, but you know, COVID happened. Um, uh, I was playing at some, some workshops and then I also recently got my own studio and it has a, has a bedroom. And so one of the things that we want to do is like my, my wife loves to cook and host people. And so having like this once a month, have somebody come in and have this like, you know, two or three day art intensive with them and, and working through where they want to go, what they want to do, what they want to learn, kind of just this time and place for them to, to be here in my studio and, and just work with what it is that they need next. Uh, and so yeah, that's, that's even more products than, than what it is that we're actually doing because COVID happened and no one can move. So I can't do workshops and I can't 
the um, creative weekends, having people here. But that is essentially kind of where I am at the moment. Uh, what, mean, direction, what direction do you want to take this? Oh, oh, don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> um, so it's mainly just originals, prints, and the courses uh, that you're doing. Uh, and, um, and, the, and the tutorials. Those are separate products. They are for different people. Uh, but they, there's, a, there's a, a few of them, and they end up being substantial. Oh, so courses being more like a comprehensive uh, yeah. curriculum and then a tutorial is just kind of sort of like a one-shot. This one-off. Painting yeah. foliage. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, that worked out because I, I think I, you actually do sell a, <laughs> a tutorial called Painting Foliage. I do, I do, called <laughs> Painting Foliage. Yep. Right. Um, you mentioned that you want to stop selling originals. Why is that? Oh, um. It's it's not that they I want them to be off the off the books, but entirely. But there's there's some degree of if I don't have to sell them, I kind of don't want to. At least the ones that are in my sketchbooks. So I I I love the practice of plein air painting. I love going out there. Um, and I I dream of a day which I probably am there now where I I can go out and do that, and still have the book at the end of the day, still keep that book. Uh, just for selfishly for myself and then in 20 years you'll be like i have too many of these damn things i'm gonna have to sell them <laughs> <Cha -ching>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah when when i re when i retire and it's like suddenly we're out of funds it's like well it's time so do you yeah do you not do commissions or client work of any kind then uh i have a couple i just finished up a big a big client job that i did um, actually, I had booked it a long time ago before I was able to stop. Uh, it wasn't only until recently that it actually came through where I was doing a backgrounds for a music video. Um, and apparently that's supposed to drop soon. Um, so we'll see how that actually ended up. And so there was that for a while. And then I do have one client who is very generous. Uh, it's their, their DJ studios, their game studio in the UK. And uh, they want me to paint exactly how I paint just for them, um, for some of the, their backgrounds of their, the animations in their game. And I, I can do as much or as little of that work as I want. I can do it at my own time. I just essentially hand in one thing and they hand me out the next, the next piece. Um, and so I, I, I enjoy that. So I keep that, but it's, it's pretty casual. Um, so of these I, that you, no, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, other than that, I, I basically don't do anything unless it's basically exactly what I would have done anyway. There's a couple of pieces recently where someone asked for something. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's just, that's just what I do. So why not? You know, I'll, I'll paint that for you. You're not so going of... to be airbrushing the side of anybody's white van. No. <laughs> no. Of the... Uh, um avenues of income that you have which ones are the, like the big successes that you uh, most want to put more effort into or which ones oh. were seen as maybe less worth the time and effort that you had put into and maybe we'll dial those back pulling out the big guns well that actually that's actually a, that's that's almost why i i can't do commissions anymore it's a lot of commissions especially if they want something specific and it's not something that i would normally 
there's no way I would have accidentally made this myself. Um, they end up just taking more time, being a little less successful in terms of just how I felt about them as a painting. And I, I make less money on that than I make on anything else. Um, so that's why they're on their way out. Um, but in terms of things that have gone really, how specific do you want me to be? Are we pulling out literally as, as comfortable as you, whatever you're comfortable with is what we're after. Yeah. We always prefer mo as specific as you possibly can be, but we don't want you to be uncomfortable with talking about anything you don't want to be. Sure. I'm, I'm comfortable. Um, I made $120,000 last year. Um, 60 of that came from courses. 20 of that came from tutorials. Uh, the rest came from prints and originals. That's my breakdown. Um, what about so, how much time went into making them to make it time efficient? Yeah. Too much time went into me. So uh, the the courses that I made, I, I essentially I got to the end of this last year, just you know, like a month or two ago, and looked back at um, looked back at what I had made in terms of the paintings that I made. I was like, I didn't make enough paintings. I really didn't. And the ones that I made were just kind of about the things that my courses were, um, or else paintings for other people. Uh, and I, like, I know this year, I really want to set time aside for when uh, late spring, early summer comes, because that's kind of like a Smith season. That's, that's when all of these like beautiful landscape come out. And then in the middle of, in the middle of summer, I want to go sort of travel a bit and somewhere a bit cooler, paint some mountains, um, do my own paintings. So I'm not actually going to be producing uh, any, any big full courses this year. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be doing something on Patreon that's similar, but it's once a month, much slower pace. Um, yeah. So you're you are on Patreon too? Do you? Yeah. Oh yeah, true. No, I'm on Patreon too. Okay, yeah, because I was gonna ask, like, we could add that to your list of sort of uh, you know diverse income streams. Um, yeah. What do you? What what types of things do you offer on on Patreon, and how's that doing? Do you, you plan on well, you just said I, you, you can. I you... just changed that. I, mm -hmm. yeah, I just changed that. So, and up until recently, it was like I'm joining my Discord server, and I wanted to give people like more things, but I was it was too much on top of everything else I was doing. So I kept changing what I was wanting to do, and it wasn't. I couldn't give it the headspace that it needed to be successful and 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 good for anyone. But I, I actually developed a. Pretty nice little Patreon community that I've really enjoyed, um, and a lot of the people, or at least some of the people on there, um, ended up. They actually helped me with a lot of things. Um, some of them actually helped me with some of the more uh, production art stuff that I do for people when I do do it. Um, I have I have one uh, amazingly helpful and talented uh, patron who actually ends up helping me do some of that stuff. Um, so up until recently, it was, it was not much, and it wasn't much of a revenue stream either. But I'm doing this thing where I, every month now, and I just changed it like last week, every month I take an anime background and I break it down and repaint it and then take out three exercises uh, from, from breaking it down and then use the three exercises to paint a Lord of the Rings painting. 
And so now I'm kind of doing that once a month. That's kind of going to be my my course replacement sort of thing. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. When it starts in. Good. Yeah. I was just gonna say it starts in February, so I don't I don't know how how it's gonna be, uh, but it's gonna provide me actually with more material that I can uh, put on YouTube and just test that out and see what I can do to make um, make stuff because it's really interesting trying to get market and trying to communicate with people. It, it, the hard part is it's not art. <laughs> um, and so there's this whole thing of like, I want to be able to communicate with people so that they relate to the art, but the actual skill of communicating, the actual skill of business, of all of that, it's just, it's not art. And so, you know, I've got to explore that and try and figure this out. And you'll find that most of the things on YouTube that are about art, they're not about art. They're just like, it's like there's art um, information, art entertainment and art um, other sort of various forms of that, but the people who are really successful on on YouTube are first and foremost art entertainment. Entertainment disguises art, and and then it links back to art education. Um, and then through art entertainment and art education, you learn about the artists and what they do, and you can have more of a connection to their actual art. So what I want to do is just shut everything off and just, you know, paint myself. Well, no, so we're going to, you're going to be the new Bob Ross, basically is what you're going for. Um, it's not quite what I was thinking, but uh, yeah, uh. essentially his, his, he does actually smoothest mix of art, entertainment and education at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Um, um, you mentioned the Patreon, pro uh, that process of having, um, Patreon, um not courses well how would you describe but def right? those definitely those sort of monthly uh, assignments educate. yeah definitely um a, a i call it my anime background study group okay right um, and you said that that would replace courses but you don't plan on taking courses down from like the, the website right. where you have them so that's already. that's one of the best things about them so far is that they are now uh evergreen products last year i didn't i i did it at a certain time at a certain place going to be there i recorded it all and so now i'm now i'm selling it so that you can take it anytime you want um and um that's that's doing pretty well i'm also giving i'll probably redo the feedback on the gouache the gouache course that i paint again a bit later in the year and so basically kind of rerun through it but i don't have to produce all of the content aside from just some new extra feedback on it uh, but yeah, so now that now it's all here's and now I'm in the position where um, I earn more money doing less. And so so I'm away from the idea that my time equals my money, which I think is so helpful. Um, but, but now it's more removed of like I do a thing, more money. How do I, you know, now that I have, you know, which is an almost passive income and the tutorials and the courses which are a passive income for the most part now how do i communicate with people about my art almost this year the focus is is to create more art than i did last year and just 100 percent focus on the actual art creation and communication of it 
because in so many ways it validates the rest of my products. Um, and yeah. Daria in the chat had a few good questions. Um, I want to kind of take them one at a time. We can work from the, the bottom up. Uh, how yeah. many, how many tutorials are you producing or have you been producing yearly? Well, I think I almost produced no one-off tutorials last year. This is too busy with the courses, but I produced two courses. One was a 12 week course and one was an eight week course where I was producing uh, the lesson itself and then doing feedback sessions. So, um, and so I was doing that and I didn't produce any tutorials. This year I'll do one, essentially one a month is the main idea. And if I have anything I really want to communicate about in between those one a month, then um, I'll just do that. With the, the courses, this year. with the courses, how do you determine like uh, how much of uh, work is going to go into them ahead of time, and then how much to charge for them when they're done? Um, you could break it down into per lesson, so maybe like twenty five dollars a lesson, or you could. Um, um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't try to, to, to figure it out that much. I, it was essentially like, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, there's some fear at the beginning of that. Like, what if nobody wants it? Nobody, what if nobody does it? But essentially I have a, I have a certain amount of, you know, does it fill my budget for that time? Will I be able to pay my bills during that time period? And once you're at that point, then it's like everything else is 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 good. It like helps to not have to do something immediately after it. Um, does that answer your question at all? <laughs> yeah, I was just curious about the, how you determine how you would uh, suggest incur uh, pricing the the courses or the tutorials. Okay. Is um, yeah. The the other thing is just the, what is the market? What's the market for it? And so I, when I was trying to price the courses, I was looking around and seeing what everyone else was doing their courses for. And then do I think I could actually make that or produce that? And um, similar kind of content, similar kind of time. How long did it take you um, to put together those courses in terms of like the actual work time involved of recording all of the material, video editing, all of like the, oh, the whole yeah. thing up to it. And did you do like your own video editing and everything like that? Or did you hire any outside in, help? In the first course, I did my own everything. And so actually, one thing that really helped with everything was, um, I said, I have, I have some, I have some, a nice community on Discord. And one, one of the people in the community is very, has a very a wonderfully critical eye. And he'll he'll type you know whenever I have a, make a spelling mistake publicly or do anything he'll help me out, um, and and make suggestions and just very wonderfully bright and critical, um, and then one of one of my other students is is just takes notes for everything and so when I started the course I was like it's too much work um, and I don't know I don't know I need it like an editor and so I invited them both to come and take the course a couple of weeks before everyone else and help me out in, in production at least in in seeing when things are not 
because my, my head was all about the, the content and they were able to look at how I was doing it. So actually, I think I ended up doing the very first lesson three times because <laughs> I would do it and, and they would get to the point of like, oh, the content's good, but you, the camera can't do that. That's like too distracting. This is not going to work. And uh, you, when you're, when you're switching things, like there's a certain, it's, it's jarring unless you know, unless you do it right. And so the first three or four lessons were just a lot of work as I was learning that. I'm really grateful for, for them for helping me that because otherwise my products would be way worse. Um, and then in the second course that I did, I got somebody else to do the editing. Um, but that made me actually get a lot better producing. And by the time that I was producing it so that someone else could edit it, I may as well edit it myself. But I, I still did it. Um, but yeah, so I think I think the first course was like probably about six months, maybe a little less. And the second course was, you know, three three months worth of three or four months worth of work. And that's working every day on it, or um, working most of my most of my time on it when I'm able to work, <laughs> when I'm actually you know productive. I mean, I, I had other things I was doing, so it wasn't like absolutely full time. Um, I was doing a lot, of, like wrapping up all my commission work and um, taking mental breaks and going out and painting. Um, and then sometimes it's just a sometimes just a struggle to actually get any work done at all. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know, I think we all know that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um... Another of Daria's questions uh, that relates directly to one of the things that I was actually going to ask you next is uh, where does your audience come from? Do you have a sense of how people find you? How do you get their attention and get them to come and look at your stuff? Uh, uh, so most of my audience, my, my biggest audience is on Instagram. I, have, I think I have 103,000 followers there. Which is insane. Um, and then my other biggest audience is Twitter. I have 15,000. Funnily enough, um, I have a, I, no matter what product I have, no matter what product I'm selling, uh, I get the same amount of people from either way. Um, so I, I think the market's very different. My, my, it, my Instagram market is much younger. It's like, I think the, the bulk is 18 to 35 and a female. And so I have a much younger audience there. And that that's played, I played a, a lot first into to doing tutorials before I did anything else. Because I, I was trying to sell, sell an original to a 13 year old is not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> or even selling, you know, selling a big print to, somebody who's just in college and just struggling. So it's like, you know, so much of my audience is that age. What can I do for them? What, what can I, can I do that will actually help them and meet their needs? And so, you know, these are the one-off tutorials that are just 10, like $10. Someone can do that and be there for that. Uh, when they're at that stage in their life, my Twitter audience is much older. And so they have more money, a little more, or, or a little more, even some of them you know, on the other end of things, a little more time in life. Um, 
but communicating is hard and it it needs to ha it yeah i so what i mean i, I know Having to rely on the algorithms for anything is just rubbish. It scares me. Uh, so I have this goal of just like, what can I do to get you onto my mailing list? Not because I want to harass you, but because I want to be able to communicate with you when Instagram dies and, um, and you know, because I have, I have people, you'll have people on Instagram where come and they'll be participate for a long time and then they'll just kind of like fade off and you don't see them. And then uh, doing actually Instagram live is really good for cutting through the algorithm because there, there's very few people live. And so if, if someone is live, it flashes up and you get to go in there. And so what happens is every time I go live, basically every single time, a whole bunch of people are like, I haven't seen any of your work lately. What's going on? Um, and they're like, oh, you have been posting. Cool. And they sort of come back in and they're like, be back in the fold of people who actually see your work. And that really sucks. So I, I just always try to, is there a way to get people onto my mailing list? That's like, what I was going to ask. Yeah. So you, you have a, a mailing list, right? And yes, I have a mailing list. That's strictly kind of for like audience retention, I guess, you know, like getting yeah. people to come and yeah, be a, a permanent fixture. And, and there's, you know, like you can't control when somebody buys something. You, you can't control that. And so, I, a lot of a lot of the big companies say, oh, I need to send an email out every single week, not because people are looking at it, just because they, and they're ready to buy something. You want to be there, be present. Um, and they're ready for it. And so, you know, with the stuff that we do, it's like, who has the money to buy a, you know, $500 painting every week? No, no one does. But you're like, okay, I want to try and be in your life to you constantly so that when you have whatever reason it is you know you got your your tax back and suddenly you have money like i make sure that i'm there for you when, when you're in that position you might be able to and you're you're thinking about it otherwise you, you can't control people want to buy something you just have to be present and be giving and actually have a real relationship with them um do you yeah. Do you do anything in particular to motivate people from Instagram and Twitter to your mailing list? Sure. Every time I'm about to do something, which means I actually should do it now. Every time I'm about to do something, I tell people, hey, I'm about to do this thing. If you want to learn more, be the first to know uh, or have the chance to, to do things, head up to my mailing list. Um, or I'm about to, you know, spring is around the corner. I, I want to share with you all the paintings that I paint during spring. So join my mailing list. Um, you know, I'm about to sneeze. It's going to be, it's going to be a good one. Join my mailing list. Um, <laughs> say it facetiously. I, I said, don't do that, but I really think, you know, and every time, every time people do. Uh, and the other thing is trying to meet people where they're at. So like they did this study um, way back in the day. Some people like, I need to, we need to fax people. Other people are like, but what about like real letters? People respond to real letters. And so they did this study where they sent out a half or a third of their stuff to people who did, um, who did fax-ins, a third of their material to people who did mail-ins, and then a third of material that says you can either fax in or mail in. What they ended up having is that 6% uh, of people 
responded to fax ins, 6% of people responded to mail ins, and 12% of people responded to fax or mail ins. And really, what that ends up is that people just want to do things the way that they are comfortable doing it. And even though, even though the people that you're sending things that say, hey, mail in, even though the offer is exactly the same, they're like, well, I don't mail things and I fax things. So it's not going to happen. And so there's this like, you need to make things as easy as humanly possible. A lot of times, if I'm on Instagram, some people don't want to go off Instagram or they don't want to give you their mail, their, their email via whatever. It's just too much friction. It's not hard more than they want to do right now. And so there's people that if you put, if you put up a, uh, a message thing on your story that essentially says, I'm going to do this thing, sign up right here to be on the mailing list. I'll get a bunch of people signing up to that would not have gone to my normal website to the mailing list. Um, and so it's just trying to find people where they're comfortable at. Um, That's one of the frustrating. Or, you know, some people are more inclined to want to, to direct message you. Uh, That's one of the frustrating things. I don't want people calling about. me. Oh, sorry. As I said, I don't want people calling me or sending me text messages, so I don't give them my phone. But um, uh, what were you going to say? Sorry? Uh, no, no, don't apologize. I often steamroll over people sometimes so <laughs> um the uh you're good the frustrating thing about instagram is getting them off of instagram and you know like it if you don't if you have less than ten thousand followers you can't post a, like a direct link in your story or whatever so yeah it's a, it always seems like a yeah. trick of like how to get people <laughs> to motivate off of instagram um but uh i wanted to follow this up um, with the notion of, uh, of traffic funnels, um, other artists and other lots of business and marketing people have talked about traffic funnels in the past. Um, do you operate with that in mind? Like, do you try and direct people to one specific place? I mean, you have like so many followers on Instagram and a lot of followers on, on Twitter, but do you, um, try and get them all to kind of like end up at one place or another in the, in the long term? Um, obviously the longest term is my, my mailing list. Um, but I recently redid my website. I have some things that some extra things that I want to do with that. Um, I don't have any, like one particular place where I'm putting out all of my news and everything. I basically, the way that I'm communicating split off to Instagram or Twitter, um, directly like that and give them the same kind of information. Um, but I do have some, some, some funnels in the works, just things that are like, um, so I, I have different markets, different audiences, right? One of them, uh, I, is like my, my prints and originals or even prints and originals. Those are two different kind of people who buy that. And then you have people who, uh, want the, the short tutorials and people want the long courses. Uh, they're all different kinds of people who are here for different kinds of things. And so there's a certain way of what I want to do. You, you can, you can send out an email and um, if somebody responds to a certain click or something, you can tag them. And so uh, one of the things that I did recently was um, have now having like an introduction series of emails that get sent out. Somebody um, signs up, then they get this little sequence. And the first in the sequence is like, hey, here's the best of my free stuff. If you want free stuff from me, hey, here it is. Uh, have a look. And um, 
And then the second thing is like, here's the best of my, my products. You know, some originals are still available. Here's some, uh, some of my best-selling prints and my best-selling tutorials and courses and stuff like that. Um, just so people get know and see. But the, with the free one, what I need to do is go in and add in, in tags. So it's like somebody comes in and they, um, and they click on something they're really interested in actually the learning or they're interested in or prints or they're interested in originals having these ways of being able to tag them in my audience so that I can stop bombarding them with things they don't care about when it comes to, you know, the other kinds of products. Um, and so that is definitely something that I, that's kind of next step for, for my sequence that I have. Um, so the, uh, the next sort of like general frustration that I know people run into a lot is um getting people to buy stuff from an online store <laughs> oh yeah is that just like a numbers game it's tricky. You think? yeah like is it just like is there just i a think i think it i think it is a numbers game where you just uh, need i, I to know meet a people want to be off go ahead go ahead uh, i know certain people want to to communicate the positive idea that numbers don't matter your following doesn't matter and there's truth that you can do a lot of things without a, with a smaller following um but in some regard there's just it's a numbers game of the amount of people and like we talked about having people know you and see you at the time that they need the thing that you sell um it's just huge uh, but also it, it's, it's communication right so like some people just just have their their print. I sell I sell more of a print if I show that it's a print and I'm there with it, and I'm like, hey, here's a print. You can buy a print because it's a print because they can see it and they can they can feel it. You kind of get that like human human interacting. Like that's what he looks like with the print. I can imagine that's what I look like with the print. You know, like there's this physicality, this humanity to seeing somebody and seeing the texture and the feel and the size the comparison, like you can buy that, but if you just show them the photo, the end result straight on photo of what it is that you've got, and it's, they're thinking about the content of the painting so much more so than it being a thing that they can actually have. Um, you also do, just, uh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. Uh, uh, I said you also uh, tend to do collections where you just do a, a big drop of um, yes, everything absolutely. at once. And you make an event of that. Uh, make an event of it, yeah. So there's always, there's a time and a place for a thing. It's hard because there's there's two worlds, and I try to hit both of them. Um, I, I try and drop things in collections because I really think that's, here's a time and a place, and, you know, maybe I have this bundle that if you get three of them, you know, it's worth, you know, you're you're, you're essentially paying less, and so... There's a certain time period on when they can buy things like that. Um, and they're looking forward to it and it's coming and now it's here and now's the time. And um, this this scarcity of time and availability and sort of leading up to it, there's a, there's a you just make a thing of it. Um, so that's really nice. And then there's, and there's the idea that I, so that's what I've done really so far. Now I've started to leave things up, um, leave things up on my website to a certain degree, 
where there's a lot of things that you can choose from to make a print. I recently bought my own printer. So now I'm printing from home um, and I can make a print of anything at any time knowing the kind of quality. I've always had a bad relationship with prints. Um, they never quite turn out the way that I want, but having gotten my own printer and being able to like run through it actually with Daria's help a lot, uh, figure out some things to consistently make my own prints. Um, now I'm like, okay, I'm in a position where I, I can leave things up and just print on demand myself and ship them out. And I'm trying to see how that goes. And I, I get, I get two or three sales every week, which funnily enough, I, I, I bought a large print. So I got 24 inches wide so I can, I can do huge, huge prints. Um, and funnily enough, the big prints have been selling really well. So I make between one and $200 every week just from a couple of odd prints that somehow someone came in and, and bought something. How does the uh, uh, so size I, I, break down though that you mentioned it? Like which ones, like you said, uh, big ones tend to be sell better. Well, what about smaller ones? Do they still have any? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the two ends of the spectrum are the ones that sell. Like the, the small, the two smallest sizes, they sell the most. Um, and there's a big gap and then the big ones, the really big ones they sell, um, recently. So, and so I'm, what are I'm in the point we're talking here, just so like, uh, we don't be too, uh, obscure in between eight by 10 and 22 by 30 is yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Moose and really so I'm, I'm numbers. in the point That's, <laughs> That's it. he loves his numbers. Yeah. I'm in the point now where I'm trying to, now that I have a lot of evergreen products, products that are just around, they could sell at any point. Um, my current exploration as far as marketing is, well, how do I make that, make that work? I'm not sure that I really know. <laughs> Aside from, you know, what I've been trying to do is that if I, if I make a print, then um, take a photo of myself holding the print and, and, and making the print and, and then I share that every time that I make a print, I have an opportunity to, to share that process and have people remind people that I, I make prints <laughs> and you can, you can buy one. That reminds me on a Reddit, there's this theory that tends to be proven true over and over again, is that if you have a person in the, in the photograph that's holding the painting, it gets more likes. So it's shared more. But oh. Additionally, if you have an attractive female holding the painting, it does far, far better than even if it's an attractive Absolutely. Male. I got a couple of wigs back here. <laughs> no. Um, yes, I would, I would agree with that. Which is so why I try and always have people. Tricks, yeah. Have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, switching gears just a little bit. Um, you've been working on or you have done a collaboration uh, with another artist uh, sarah finnegan um, yeah yeah uh, you guys were working on a, a calendar can you talk a, a little bit about that collaboration what what does that look like how do you guys bring that together yeah so um sarah and i have a good friendship we talk every every couple of weeks we talk um and sarah was trying to produce this calendar herself but uh, she didn't have as much work as she initially thought or needed to finish up the calendar 
And, um, but she wanted to make it anyway. And she was just trying to figure out how to, how to get that to happen. And so I had a couple of pieces. Sarah works in open acrylics. It's this long drying acrylic. And after she had mentioned it, um, I, I went out and got some and I tried it. And so I actually had a couple of uh, paintings already done that were more or less looked more like her stuff than most of most of my stuff does. And so I was like, well, you could just use mine. Like, use my use my paintings that I have. I um we could we could do that. And so that was that was really it. Um in terms of collaboration didn't the only thing that we did was I, I ended up making another painting to use the cover that was um uh, she has this this painting of an old tree in the middle of a desert. Um, so I I repainted it as a young tree in the middle of a forest. Uh, so that was kind of my stuff and her stuff kind of put together. But I know that uh, yeah, some just, artists. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, go for it. I know some artists uh, when I even suggest the idea of collaborating with other artists to fill something out. Uh, they think, oh, it's going to get too complicated with the finances. Is there anything you guys did to simplify things? Um, Sarah loves spreadsheets. <laughs> so she just uh, spreadsheeted it up. Um, really, she took care of all of that. Um, and I didn't need the money. So it was kind of like, you do what you need to do. Um, and we'll see where it takes us. And so she calculated it all. She put time, put a monetary value to time put into um, her setting up the Kickstarter, doing all the Kickstarter stuff. Uh, then there was like photos and graphic designer. So she kind of just broke it all up and we gave everything a weight um, and then split it up that way. I just spreadsheets. I am so strongly uh, aligned with Sarah in this. You have no idea. <laughs> Me and numbers don't get along. Um, and so I'm more than happy just to leave that to, to her. I'm a data scientist, so this is what, all I do. Nice. So good. Well, in terms of just like raw business, you know, uh, since <laughs> you don't like the numbers, <laughs> Um, it'll, it's valuable insight from you. Like, do you, is there anything else that we like, kind of haven't touched on that occurs to you? That's like, this is one thing that has happened to me along the way, or like something I always like to mention to people when I'm having this conversation, uh, anything like that, that you kind of have in mind before we move on a little bit more. Um, Hmm. Not that no I can think of okay. at the moment. Okay. Yeah, if it, yeah, if it comes sorry. up, I'll bring it up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, there's a obviously a large, you know, population of of artists that are you know working more traditionally. Um, I think in in our circle, meaning Moose and I, there's a, a preponderance of fantasy artists that work mostly in digital, um, yeah. and. Uh, the great majority of advice that you will hear on, you know, YouTube or 
the gum roads and stuff like that are geared towards digital artists that are focused on, you know, like fantasy art or fan or fan art and stuff like that. Um, and you don't see as much for traditional artists that are like you not wanting to get into gallery and, you know, that whole kind of that side of the world of, of fine art. Yeah. Do you feel like your model of doing things is replicatable? Um, and is it, is it a method that you would recommend for people that share similarities to sort of like, you know, where you are in terms of the mediums that you work in and, and the type of work that you want to do? Is this something that you would sort of paint out as a, no pun intended, uh, as a path forward for starting to develop? Oh, gosh. Business? I wish there was a path forward for anyone. <laughs> you know, I just wish I could just say, oh, just do this and that. And um, I mean, certainly, suddenly, I think, um, oh, gosh, everything I can think of, there's exceptions or there's somebody who doesn't do it. Um, I would, I, yeah, I mean, I would be happy to help somebody get to where I am and do the kinds of things that I've, that I've done. Um, man, there, it's so hard. I think the really hard thing. <laughs> is there a course that you could make that, that covers a lot of this? <laughs> Possibly. I don't know. It's hard. Cause you, I mean, the number one thing I really think that's gets in people's way is that, Instagram is a skill. Twitter is a skill. Uh, marketing is a skill, and you need to put time and effort into making it happen. Um, and for me, in my own representation for everything that I have, that ends up being way more important than I want it to be. Um, yeah, I can it's just that, like. I can hear other people in I can hear people in the chat screaming. Yes, I don't want to do um, uh, Instagram anymore. I don't want to do Twitter. I just want to paint faces. I know. Me too. <laughs> me too. So I think I think unfortunately because we are in many ways our own representatives, representation has to be a job. Um, at least it. Not that it has to take the position of a job, but it just it's important work, unfortunately. Um, anytime you can make your, your painting work, just feed that work naturally and be that work, then that's good. But it's things like, you know, there's rules on, on, on Instagram. You know, if you drop off completely and you come back, you're not going to have the same amount of people see your work. There's, you know, it's just there's, there's stuff you have to do, and that sucks. Uh, but that is, is there, that is really important. Is there representation for traditional artists um, outside of galleries, like sort of like in between galleries and the social media platforms? Like, I, I mean, I know that like right. art agents are a thing. And I know that there's like a few comic book artists that I, that I follow who um, they have representation. It's on a website, but it's, I can't remember the, the the name of it off the top of my head. I'm failing, but there, I, you know, I'm, I have this sort of like vague awareness that there's like 
representation for artists outside of galleries and outside of the traditional social media platforms. Do you have like any more information on yeah, that or any reason like, that, why you don't I get that, that impression too. I just have never found them. I've never found people who would actually do that work. Um, I see it. I see it. There's that uh, Super Annie. Is that their name? Um, Evan Evan Melamunson and um, well, what's his the guy with the the brush pen that paints the world in a couple minutes? Yeah, exactly. So those that group they have their own representation kind of situation going on, but I don't know. I haven't found anyone who actually does it. Um, I really wanted that early on. I could never find it back then either. I think the group's name is called like Soria or something. Cool. But I don't know anything about it other than that. I feel like there's like a, there's yeah. a space here that's waiting to be filled. Like someone could step in and do that. Like I know that there's like social media management, but like, I don't know, more, more so than just okay, I'm going to do your Twitter and your Instagram and your Facebook posts for you. Right. I'm going, to, I'm going to connect you with potential buyers in the way that galleries do on top of, like, I don't know, I'm sort of just like rambling out loud with no particular direction. <laughs> I'd agree. And I, I would agree. I really want that to exist. So um, for it to... One of the things that we're trying to avoid is like uh, galleries in general because they take such a huge cut of sales. Is there any way that you know to even still work with a gallery or is it just not even worth it at this point? Um, I, for me, it's not worth it at this point, at least with the kind of galleries that I was able to get into at the beginning of my work. Um, but at the beginning of my work, when I was trying galleries, they you would be renting out a space and they'd be taking a cut and wanted me to, to sell things for like one or two hundred dollars um now i think now the kind of space that i would have if i was actually doing a gallery would be completely different in terms of the people who would actually take me in the, the market um but it's really hard you know like I, I remember having being in a really awkward spot you know there's a lot of local cafes and stuff and they'd be like Yo, you should put your stuff up on my wall it's like hundreds of people every week and then and just compared to the amount of people who see my work online every day, sometimes it just doesn't feel that. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's just this, this new reality of the internet. There's a lot of people on the internet, it seems. There's, there's a lot of them. How about finding them? <laughs> finding the right people. Yeah, you can find um, uh, a bunch of people that don't care about your stuff too much and they just follow you and then they never interact with you again and you're like well they're a follower technically but they're not actually helping me in any way and they're not actually you know interested that much right that's true you can't you can't really rely on all of them for yeah and that's i yeah yeah can't <laughs> so i guess i was uh, talking about god I was going to say, Darius talked about paying for ads. And I, I think there's some interesting things to be said there. Uh, so I recently did a couple of tests with a couple of other artists. And we, we each found that if we paid $100, we got 1,000 followers. Um, and obviously, you, you need to have your page be something that people want to follow. 
and everything. And to be in a, a, a place where you're producing consistent, well-communicated work. Um, but it, I think it was interesting that we each had the same number, pay $100, get 1,000 followers. And the general consensus was, yeah, like if I was starting again, I, I legitimately had well-communicated, consistent work. I'd pay $1,000 and get 10,000 followers and kind of start boost that way. Yeah, but that you have a thousand dollars to spare when you're first starting out. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, though. Uh, you can either spend a year or two building up to hundred thousand followers. That's you posting every day or every other day, and you know, plotting out the question that you're going to ask in the post to get people to respond to it, so that more people will see the post, so that you know, it's, you know, the hamster wheel, so that it keeps going up and up and up. But uh, or you can just pay the thousand dollars and save yourself two years worth of work. Yeah, it's, I would, I would do it, I'd do it, but I wouldn't do it if I, I, if I was back in the day where I was just posting everything and I didn't have a direction and my work didn't communicate well, I, so, I don't think I'd get the followers. Let's uh, hone in on that a little bit. Like what's the difference? Like what specifically are you doing differently now than what you were doing before? Um, Specifically is um my work has a has a voice has something it's saying communicating that emotional quality we we're talking about um as well as uh shots are clear and there's some degree of kind of like placing things and um yeah, but that's really the main difference and it's it's small but it's huge you know it's like people if you subscribe to a magazine, you really want to know what the magazine's about. If you are going to movie, you're only going to go if you know what it is. And if you don't know what it is and it's kind of not making sense, you get up and leave. Um, unfortunately, there's a, there's a certain degree of um, that in general in marketing of, of have to know, you know, look at it. They call it the, the caveman test. Someone look at your website and in three seconds know exactly what it is that you do and who you are. If the answer is no, then they just move on. It's the same thing um, when it comes to to Instagram or Twitter, people following you. They go there, see it, and be like, yeah, I kind of know what this guy's about. Um, and the scary part for us is that we don't want people to think that that's all we're about. But and in terms of somebody paying the amount of attention, they're not paying money, but they're paying attention. Um, but they are paying something. It, it you know, it costs to follow something. You have to want it more than not. And so there's got to be clarity. You know, lack of clarity gets in the way of every sale. And you know, they're not, they're not buying with money, but they are buying with attention. And there's still that kind of transaction going on. So, you know, they need to see you, know what it is that you're about. Essentially, they're subscribing. Do I want more of this thing? And if I don't know what this thing is, then I'm not going to want more of it. Um, so back in the day, I was like uh, a magazine that appealed to no one because it said, you know, you might buy it and only get one article that you like versus now being a magazine that's it's one cohesive idea being communicated. So if you want it, you really want it. And if you don't want it, you just pass it on by. 
I think this, you kind of uh, want that. This goes back to uh, uh, Brian. He was on our uh, podcast. He's the director of marketing for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, he said that the uh, one of one of his top ten tips was focus on what a few people love rather than what a lot of people like. So if you're focusing on yes. all your stuff is for this one group of people, those people will follow you to the ends of the earth, basically. Exactly. Exactly. We have the internet. We're not looking for anything to please everyone. We have access to enough people, theoretically. We can find the very few people who are just, the world is made brighter by what we do. So we had one question about, it's a little bit of a nitty gritty technical question when it comes to yeah. making a, a painting. Um, color forecasting, when you're looking into colors that are in, being like seasonal colors oh, and shit right. that's like going to be, you know, a hot seller uh, for matching home decor and, and whatnot. Is that something that you take into consideration or have any thoughts on? I've heard about that. I haven't given it a great deal of time and thought. Um, I have... And the closest thing I'm doing for that is what I'm going to be doing and releasing in the summer is going to be, or the late spring, is going to be work that really feels summery, um, that that feels like that season to me. Um, it's kind of feeling a lot of impression, a lot of impressionist work it gives me. It's it's again, it's, it's it's me focusing on the mood, but at the same time, it's like that mood is is representative and it just happens to be represented in people's houses you know they they set up their houses seasonally um so i'm not thinking about the forecasted colors but i am thinking about uh, knowing that people um that there is a culture at least here in the south in the states there's a culture of people um uh, setting up their house seasonally and having things that are, are representative of that season in their house um uh, Knowing that that's a thing and knowing that what I have in my mind would fit that, uh, really try to tap into that and, and explore that a bit further because it's not really something that I've explored in the past. But do you think it's something that's, um, that's a, affected you? Like uh, just you happen to have a lot of summery stuff like in, or uh, fall stuff or spring stuff from your Japan series, for example? So do I think it's affected me? Oh, like my, like my house? Oh no, your sales. What do you mean? My sales. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. But with with the the idea of having seasonal items, because having seasonal items, I think there's a, there's a certain degree of strategy there to saying if there's a scarcity to it, it's appropriate now. It will be gone. So if you want it, you kind of got to get it now. Um, having this natural tension about about it um i think there's a positive to that and and i don't do any christmasy things and i don't do any like anything else in particular but i think it is good to have a seat because then it's it's also it's the same product it's going to be available next year so it's not like i'm just doing this thing one off and that's the thing that i learned being a kickstarter I remember the very first kickstarter that i did um i did a series of prints and i was like yes kickstarter exclusive and then i never sold them again like, well, that sucks. <laughs> I can't sell it now. Um, but having something that is both 
seasonal so that it has a certain degree of time and uh, and appropriate this pressure but also it's gonna be available next year so it's not like i'm just doing it and it's gone uh, so i'll report back how that goes i'm not sure it, it well, strikes me sort of as uh, like a trending hashtag kind of thing you know where like you hypothetically yeah. there's enough trending hashtags you know or or monthly hashtag themes or whatever you could you could spill all of your time chasing those and if that's something that you really love just for the sake of doing it then by all means but otherwise probably your energy is better spent just catching the ones that come your way that make sense for the stuff that that you want to do oh absolutely everything takes so much time everything's such a commitment it's crazy and and so definitely i'm only going to do that kind of stuff like if i it's more like oh i already have that kind of stuff i can do that like that'll work um man yeah the question is is it worth it right yeah yeah you have to be very upfront with yourself about that were you gonna say something moose sorry yeah we have uh some i know some hardcore painters in the audience so i wanted to give you an opportunity to nerd out a little bit before i moved on uh to talk about uh plain air painting like what what are your favorite brands what are what are yeah. some techniques, uh, light lighting situations, uh, etc. Just whatever you feel most uh, passionate about. Right. So, plein air painting. I um, my goal is to to minimize everything so that I have absolutely nothing in between me and the idea of painting. As I, there's been times where I've been like, I want to go out and paint. I have to like pack up my oils and and drag everything out with me, and then there's like. 20 minutes packing up and I have to be careful with everything. There's just like mental tension involved. And so over the years, everything has really gone to just trying to make things as smooth as humanly, humanly possible. And that means I actually have very little equipment. I have a sketchbook. Um, I like to use Etcher sketchbooks or Strathmore 400 series, um, like hot press because that kind of works well with me. But I grab these, these are poster colors or gouache basically the same thing and put them into like a little tin thing that just wraps up. Um, and then I have a baby Brezza. Baby Brezza is supposed to be for baby food. And it's supposed to be this thing where you can put your own stuff in it, put your own food in it, seal it up and throw it in the bag and not have to worry about it spilling. It's got like a double seal on it. It's, it's perfect for something, a container that I can put water in, throw it in my bag and not worry about it. But when I, when I set it down and open it up, it just stands up on the table. Um, and yeah, most up until very, very recently, I didn't bring an easel or anything. I only bring an easel now so I can film things. Um, even then, it's still kind of just like a little tripod with a thing on top. So nothing fancy. Well, you didn't bring an yeah. easel to go outside, to go paint outside? Yeah. How, how were you? Sit down. Okay. And uh, yeah, just sit down and put the book out in front of me and put the stuff out in front of me and just sitting down. Yeah. That's the move. Do you have any <laughs> preference for uh, lighting situations or time of day or anything like that? Uh, no, I mean, I think part of the fun is uh, different, different everything all the time. Uh, but I mean, I'm always looking out for clear values. If if something can be a clear have a clear value scheme, then that's 
that's it. Or conversely, rather, if something is very unclear, then it's a little little harder to make a good painting. So I juggle up. But that's really the only thing that I find important. Um, and I really I focus on um, following my gut. Whether I think it's going to be a good painting or not, can I follow my gut and be interested, be fascinated? Um, just follow that same sense of fascination. But unfortunately, no, I'm really not a, I'm really not a, like a physical things junkie. I'm not like some people are really into like getting the right paintbrush and the right paper and the right paints and the right everything. Uh, I don't really care. I, I, I'll use anything, but it, can it be a smooth experience so that I'm not, have no fear going into it or fear of losing time trying to come out of it? Like it, can I make that process and experiences? As nothing is humanly possible so that I actually go out and paint. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't do it, even though I love doing it. How much time do you typically spend on a, a planner session? Uh, probably about an hour and a half. Anything more than that, the lights change too drastically. Um, anything under that, and I don't quite give myself the time to get into it. Pinky in the chat wants to know what kind of easel you are using now. Uh, I'm using one that my friend made. Let's see. Well, I don't actually custom? have it here with me. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he lost his job uh, during COVID. So we're trying to find ways to utilize him, give him some money. Uh, so I he made a little, it's essentially the thing that James Gurney has, very, very similar to that. It's everywhere. But nothing falls off. Um. Just as far as like technique goes, is there any uh, ten second tutorial or just tip that uh, helped <laughs> you progress in your uh, uh, your own career? Oh sure, um, wet to dry. <laughs> uh, yeah, wet to dry. Uh, what, it's it's the only the way ten, to make what's gouache. What's the ten second or... elevator pitch for wet to dry? Ten second elevator pitch is the only way you can get gouache to. Uh, be smooth and look like oil painting is by having everything be just the right degree of wet. You can change how long your gouache or your post-color is workable by changing the moisture content of your paper. And you can actually find ways to keep your paper at a certain moisture content so that it's workable to a certain degree. And oh, I think my wife's calling. If you have to answer, it, um, we can edit out we something. Can, yeah, no worries. We can just uh, keep going, and then it's fine. It's good. It's good. She's just not there at the moment. Oh, um, just blame us if there's any kind of uh, argument afterwards. You're good. You're good. <laughs> there's not gonna be an argument. Um, yeah. So, um, so you're saying that there are ways to keep wash workable like oil like over the course of your painting absolutely i've worked on a piece for days it's it's wet and workable you 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 have tutorials and and, and and uh my gouache course has has it in it i mean the the short version is if you get you know stay wet palettes they're essentially a sponge underneath a semi-permeable layer so you can put your paint down and the paint doesn't dry you do the same thing with your paper is actually get a cookie a cookie tray. Make sure it's a shallow cookie tray. 
put a, essentially put a sponge in and, put a, and then put your painting on top. You can, and the, the sponge soaks up the water and then the paper soaks up the water. And depending on how much water you put in it, you can keep it at different levels of wet. But it can be workable for long periods of time. So anybody listening, please go check out the links that will be in the show notes because we'll definitely have that happening and, and available. <laughs> um, I would like to make an even sharper change of, of pace uh, and talk a little bit about balancing family if we can, because yeah, after all of this, we have, you know, if, if somebody hasn't gotten the impression of like how busy you are and how much work you're putting into this, then they're, they're, <laughs> they're not paying attention. <laughs> um, <laughs> the amount of time yeah sure yeah the amount of time that you put into this uh is, is incredible and then the, and then when we learn about you that you you know you also have a family you know, a wife and and two kids right um what is that um what does that look like for you as far as balancing that out like how do you kind of go about negotiating that uh it's really difficult Really difficult. Um, so up until up until about three or four months ago, I was just working from home, uh, and that was it was good, but really tr tricky. A lot of the time, it was like trying to actually work when runs asleep. Um, I I have come to learn that I have uh, a lot of trauma from when I was a kid, and um, for me, it's like my body tells me that I'm unsafe a lot of the time, which is why why the focus of my work is all about finding peace. But um, that happens. Um, <laughs> I might have to I might have to go home to the wife soon. The, the kids are getting kids are getting a bit rough. So I mean, yeah, but, we only have anyway, a couple more uh, questions for sure, so we can wrap this up quickly. Cool, and. Yeah, so so being at home was really really hard, and it was just trying to find places and times where people are, are asleep <laughs> so that I could work. Um, but uh, when my last course opened up, the gouache course, I uh, ended up renting out a place. So that's the place that we are now, and so it's like three or four minutes down the road from my house. It's enough space that I could be safe in here and and work, but. Yeah, a lot of it's really hard because I to always remind myself that it's like you know doing a forty-hour work week is not a standard I have to live up to. In fact, there's no standard I have to live up to, besides from uh, making sure that my wife and kids are supported and have everything they need. But my life, really, it's about. Is it about? That's the question. I want so it to be about. There, uh, you mentioned that uh, before the stream that uh, your kids are one year apart, so you had to experience basically them both similar uh, age ranges uh, at a time. Yeah. Um, so, what strategies did you have when they were uh, that helped you be uh, work effectively as they were toddlers or as if they were like newborns, where that work is hardest to get in? Um, when they sleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, our very first, our very first child. I was the 
the primary caregiver. So it really was just work when she slept. And then by the time the second child came along, um, it was, I was, my work was the work that was bringing home the bread. And so, um, so at that point, I could sort of exchange things a bit more. I was able to prioritize what I needed to do. Um, but at the same time, just it's, it, I don't know, it's hard, but it, it, there's so many like preconceived ideas about what it means to work and when to work and how to work and um, just how much of my life is about productivity. And I, I feel like I can't give much advice to it because I, I constantly find myself back in, you know, this is not real. Like I don't need, I don't need to be everything as a, as a person who works. Like that's not my main identity. I, that's I, really I love odd. That. Yeah. I love that philosophy. And, and I love the idea of cultivating that more and advising people to do that, you know, like not the whole uh, living to work versus working to live sort of thing, I guess. Um, yeah. And w with that in mind, do you have like time management things that you do to not just keep yourself on schedule, but to also keep yourself balanced, you know, so that you're maintaining uh, a schedule, but and getting your work done, but you're not driving yourself crazy. Yeah. I mean, I just try to limit the things that I have to do. I have to do every day to one, just like one task. And then trying to be okay if if that's not the case, <laughs> if that doesn't really happen, um, not completely bombarding myself with a million things that I know that I need to do. I get really stressed out about it, but um, just can uh, like one of my mantras is just like if I could just do this one thing today, then that's it. Then it's a good day. Um, yeah, but I I have a a lot of trouble. Uh, I have a lot, yeah, like I was saying, a lot of trauma from my my childhood, and um, that gets in the way a lot um, of really being productive or being able to do anything. And then um, you have to learn how to re-regulate your emotions, which is not something you learn if you're if you have a traumatized past. Um, and so a lot of my time goes into activities that regulate emotions. Um, some days are just lost. Some weeks are almost lost just like it's not going to happen and so there's there's this radical degree of like self-acceptance that you have to at least i have to hone in on like if my work if my life is about my work then i'm a mess because my work never gets done hmm. but it's like that's if i can just allow myself to feel the things i feel it's a good day i don't have to get work done and that's a privilege because there was time periods in my life where I had to get work done every single day because time meant money and I didn't have enough of either of them. And um, just so, so hard. Well, massive congratulations to you for all that you have accomplished. I, I know that you have to go very soon. We just have two more quick questions for you, if that's all right. Okay. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, one is, you know, pretty straightforward. Uh, if people want to find you, where would you like them to go? To justindonaldsonart.com. Very cool. Or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter by just looking up my name. Yeah. And, and those links will be in the show notes as well. And Justin, our last question. 
uh, outside of your personal projects, art and business, what's something that's happening in the world that you're excited about? Oh, outside of that, um, spring's coming. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's um, yeah, no, I know that's, that's kind of terrible answer. It's, it's true. When it, There's I'm, no terrible I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Isn't it? I'm, when COVID ends, we'll be able to travel again. Genuinely excited about that. And then you can do plein air paintings out in Italy or something. Exactly. Day is coming. Day is coming. It's going to be so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's to <laughs> coming sooner than later. Um, Justin. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. We really, really appreciate it. It's been so great. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.